We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Okay, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with Jasmine Allnut. And this is the episode on Women Worth Knowing that I promised you last week and didn't even begin to touch because I was so interested in the intrigue of the background. <laughs> but sometimes background's important. Oh, I you know it, what I mean? I think yes. especially with some of these older time periods that we've been going through, the Middle Ages, the Reformation era, it helps us understand and appreciate the women we're talking about. We right. know the times they lived in. So if you're starting, please go back and listen to yeah, last week. you week's, need to. Because it's going to tie in the Reformation movement to England and just tell you who the covenanters were and why they're so significant. So now I'm going to go to Charles II. Mm-hmm. Now, Charles II was, he was raised as a Catholic in France because he had to flee after his father was executed by parliament. So his Cromwell, mother Cromwell, yeah. right, fled with Charles and Charles' uh, little brother, another Edward, fled to <laughs> France, where they were raised. So he comes back, and he has a limited policy of freedom. Like, he doesn't want to be his father. He doesn't want to be Oliver Cromwell. In fact, Mm -hmm. Charles is actually a partier. He's really not (laughs) involved at all in the politics. Not interested. (laughs) No. And he just, you know, he has this commission. And this commission says, you know what? You just look like king. You just enjoy yourself, and we will run the country for you. And Charles II is really unaware of Hmm. anything that's going on. In fact, he's carrying on with an actress named Nell Gwynn. And he has 19 illegitimate children by Nell Gwynn. And you can go to Windsor, and you can go (laughs) to her house. Her house is really convenient to Windsor Hmm. Palace, so he could get to it really easily. How about that? And her house is now a tea house. And it's actually the house of Nell Gwynn. I've been to Windsor. I never learned about that. Yeah, Nell Gwynn. So she had 19 illegitimate children. This is just a side note, but (laughs) I find it fascinating. No, those things are kind of fun to throw in. So at the end, she comes to Charles when he's dying and saying, look, I was your real wife. I had the 19 children. What are you going to do, you know, about our children? And Charles and his wife had one son, another James, right? Mm. But she says, what are you going to do? You know, these children... You can't leave them penniless. You've got to give them titles. Mm. And that's when the title Duke and Duchess were first introduced. Wow. He came up with this title (laughs) and he named them Dukes and Duchesses. And they all come from the illegitimate children of Charles II and an actress. So the commission assigned a man named Sir Robert Greeson to suppress the Scottish Covenanters because they're a problem now. You know, they're all over Parliament. They want to get rid of the the Catholics, and they want to get rid of the Anglicans. They're kind of similar to the Puritans in that way, are they? Yes, they are. Yeah. They are. They really want to make Scotland Presbyterian. Yeah. Their own unit. Right. And the Catholics and the Episcopalians are really uh, resisting that. Of course. And they're immoral, and they're resisting the Word of God. They're resisting Mm. these things and the authority of the Word of God. So what you could say is that the Scottish Covenanters just kind of lost patience with them. (laughs) So now the commission of Charles feels like if the Covenanters aren't brought under control, they will usurp the throne of England. They're really concerned about Mm -hmm. these Covenanters because, remember, they're growing. 
They keep growing. Even under persecution, the covenanters keep, keep growing. So Sir Robert Greeson hires dragoons and a major windram to deal with this. And Major Windram has a policy of no tolerance. Wow. So during this same time, and, and again, they're catching people and they're saying the oath of abjuration. And if people won't do the oath of abjuration, they're taken before the courts and they're sentenced to death. This is like the Spanish Inquisition. It kind is. Of. And they're, yeah. they're sentenced to death and all sorts of terrible, terrible deaths. So during this time, there's a young man named James Rinnick. And he also, he's a college graduate, and he starts a movement called the Cameronians. And they're this radical faction of the Covenanters. I mean, they are passionate, but they have to hide in the hills because it's so dangerous for Covenanters. Now, the Covenanters, here's something that they did, too. They didn't meet in churches. They met in the open air Mm. so that everybody could hear the gospel, so that everybody could hear the word of God. It's interesting to note, too, because the covenanters were so associated with the Scottish Parliament that at one point they even had their own army. Wow. And there were battles between the forces of England and the covenanters, and the covenanters actually won many of the battles and drove England out. They were were fierce. (laughs) So this is why they're considered such a threat to the English government. So now, again, the English government is going to deal with them by any means possible. So in a little town called Wigtown, Wigtown, it's it's very small, very insignificant, and it's on the eastern side of Scotland. And you've got the Bay of Blognoth. <laughs> Blognoth. You've got this uh, Blognoch. You've got this this bay, this inlet. And what would happen is the tide could pull way out, and then it would come in, like come way in. So there's two women, and one is Margaret McLaughlin. Mm -hmm. Margaret McLaughlin and her husband were covenanters, and she had children and just lived a very, very good godly life. And she was known just for her godliness all over Wigtown. And it's said, it's not verified, but it was believed that she had Bible studies and that Mm -hmm. she actually really discipled some of the younger women in in Wigtown. Now, of course, you know, she's having it in her house. But at the same time, there's a Margaret Wilson. Now, Margaret McLaughlin um, is now 63 years old, because the year is 1685. And Margaret McLaughlin is 63 years old. Now, Margaret Wilson is 18. Margaret Wilson, they believe, um, was drawn into the Covenanters because her parents, they were Anglicans. They were diehard Anglicans. But she gets drawn because the Anglicans and the corruption, and there's no power in those churches. And her brother Thomas ends up meeting James Renwick. And just says, you know, you've got to hear, you've got to hear James Renwick. So he takes Margaret, and Margaret takes her little sister Agnes, and they begin to hear James Renwick preach. And just his passion, his love for Jesus, the authority of the word. I mean, Margaret just becomes a covenanter. Like, this is what she wants. And she begins to know the word at just like 17, 18 years old. Her brother Thomas is actually 
two years younger than she is. She has older brothers, and her older brothers all become avid followers of James Renwick. They go to the hills of Scotland, and they live in absolute obscurity and hiding from Mm -hmm. the dragoons Mm -hmm. and, you know, from the English forces. Mm -hmm. And they're seeking, even in hiding, to win as many people to Jesus Christ as possible. They are passionate with evangelism. So Margaret is on a trip one day to Wigtown. And it's said that she was going there to meet with some friends. And she's just going with her little 13-year-old sister. She's the daughter of a farmer and a farmer's wife. She's absolutely nobody. Nobody important either. But her brothers are known to be Cameronians. And because they couldn't get the brothers, there's an informer, a spy, who pretends to be Margaret Wilson's friend, Hmm. but is not. And he reports on her. And so this awful Major Windrum sends the dragoons, and they arrest Agnes, and they arrest her big sister, Margaret. Agnes is 13 at the time. Wow. And they, <laughs> they throw him into a thing called the Thieves' Hole. Now, the Thieves' Hole is just like a pit, so to speak. It's got mold. It's got mildew. The ground is muddy. Like a dungeon kind It's of? like a dungeon. Okay. It's like even worse than a dungeon because wow. it's believed that it was like dirt walls. Mm-hmm. So there's vermin crawling through oh, the gosh. walls. And the floor is straw. And so there's thieves. There's murders. There's men in there. And here are this 18-year-old girl and her yeah, 13-year-old sister girls. just among the scum of society. And they have to relieve themselves in this dungeon where all of these men are. Mm. There's no dignity afforded these women at all. So after their arrest, the informer then tells them about this widow woman who is known as being a godly, loving woman. It's interesting because at the same time, there were also witch trials going on in Scotland. And if you didn't like someone, you accused them of being a witch. And women who didn't do anything Mm. were burned at the stake. If Charles II got a cold, they would find somebody they didn't like, a woman they didn't like, accuse her of being a witch and of casting a spell on Charles II. And she would be taken and thrown into the thief's hole and then executed. I mean, it was not safe in Scotland. It just wasn't safe at all. So now... Margaret McLaughlin has grown children. She's 63 years old. And one day the dragoons come and they break into her house and they carry her off and throw her into the thieves' hole. With the other Margaret. And she's with the other, the Margaret Wilson and Agnes. So they go to court and they are found guilty of being uh, covenanters. And, And what the covenanters were... They were slandered, and they were accused of trying to rebel against the king of England. Mm -hmm. So because of that and these trumped-up charges, but also the fact that, you know, it's like the straw man. They they turn the covenanters into something that the covenants never were, and they accuse them of that. So because of that, they're found guilty on all three charges. Well, in the meantime, 
Margaret Wilson's father finds out about this. He's just besides himself. He's a he's a loyalist. He he's an Anglican. So he begins to seek out anyone who can bring a stay of execution for his two daughters. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just beside himself. He's yeah. lost his son to the Covenanters. He's not partial to the Covenanters. And now his daughters are his thirteen and eighteen year old daughters are about to be executed. Mm-hmm. So he goes to all the powers that be, and he is granted a release for his daughter Agnes for a hundred pounds, which is a huge That's amount. That's a lot. Yes. Then. And it would be close to $100,000 in today's yeah, market. Yeah. But he secures her release. He gets her out of the thief's hole, takes her home, and he's working for Margaret. Well, on April 11th, there's another commission that meets And they said, this is ridiculous. This is a young girl and a widow. Yeah, You know, if they're guilty of anything, it's just being overzealous. And so there's a stay of execution. These Mm. women are supposed to be released. That's what comes down. They're supposed to be Hmm. released. But Charles Windham, Mm -hmm. Windram pretends like he never got it. He will not listen to this. And he said, you know what? No, if if I would, at one point, he comments that if he listened to this, then it would undermine, you know, everything that he's trying to do. So he wow. takes the women on, on May 11th, 1668, and he takes them out to the Bay of Blanach, which is really right there at Wigby. Mm-hmm. And they take the older Margaret, mm-hmm. who's 63 years old. And, you know, again, the tide is out. And they yeah. take her pole and they take it kind of kind of towards the middle of the bay. And they put this stake into the ground and then they tie her to this stake. And then they they go closer to the shore, but still where when the tide comes in, it will be over the top of these stakes. And they put another stake in and they tie Margaret Wilson to the stake. And they do this on purpose because their idea is Margaret Wilson will see Margaret McLaughlin dying and she will take the oath of abjuration. Mm. She'll do this if she just sees the older Margaret dying. Pressure, exactly. And so the older Margaret is dying and one of the the tide is coming in and it sweeps over the older Margaret's head and then kind of pulls out, then sweeps overhead. Can you imagine being in the ocean in the waves and not being able to, you yeah, know, lift push yourself, yourself up? Get right. Out the, yep. Ugh. And so the ocean's just Bad coming Lord. and filling her with salt water. So one of the dragoons makes his way out there and he grabs her by the head and the hair on her head, and he pulls her neck back, and he puts a knife to her throat and says, say the oath of abjuration. And she said, with all my heart, I pray for the king every day. I pray for his safety. I pray for his health, and I pray that he might know Jesus. And with that, he slits her throat for saying that. So, And I am paraphrasing, but that's pretty much the The gist gist of of what she said. And then the other Margaret sees that. So they come to her and they said, are you ready to recant everything that you said? Mm -hmm. And she said, they said, do you see her? Do you see what's going on? And this is what she said. Mm -hmm. And looking at the other Margaret, I see Christ wrestling there. Do you think we are the sufferers? No, it is Christ in 
us. Mm. It's in wow. us. So Margaret Wilson, they allowed her hands to be free, and they allowed her to hold a Bible because they wanted her to swear by the Bible on this Bible. Ironically, and so, right, strange. As the tide begins to swirl around her, she reads this from Psalm 25, or she actually sings a song from Psalm 25. Hmm. And these are the words she sings. My sins and faults of youth, do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy, think on me, and for thy goodness great. God good and upright is the way he'll sinners show. The meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know. She's singing that 18 years old. Mm. She's just watched a friend and a mentor die. Mm -hmm. And she is singing Psalm 25. And there are hundreds, all the townspeople of Wigtown are there on the beach, and they are watching all of this go down. And what is supposed to be a deterrent Mm -hmm. to being a follower of Jesus is having the opposite effect. And we'll get to that in a moment. But then she opens her Bible and turns to Romans chapter 8, and she reads this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And she reads to the end of the chapter, Hmm. what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It is written for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. She reads that. She reads that from the stake. And shortly after that, and the waters had risen to her neck, a soldier waded out. He loosened the ropes and he forced her head up. And he said, Mm. pray for the king, for he is supreme over all persons in the church. And she, 18, says, I pray for the salvation of all men. I wish no one to be condemned. Then he pushed her head under the water, then brought it up again and said, pray for the king, swear the oath. And people from the crowd are saying, dear Margaret, Margaret, Mm. please don't die. Her family, her father. They're all saying, please, just do the oath of abjuration. Please save yourself. Who does that sound like? Remember, save yourself, save yourself Mm -hmm. to Jesus on the cross. And instead, she catches her breath and she prays out loud, Lord, give the king repentance, forgiveness and salvation. If it be thy holy will, then the people on shore said, she said it. She said it. She said it. Release her. Release her. All the, the bystanders watching started demanding her release. 
But the chief officer only got angrier, and he said, let the dog go to hell. We do not want such prayers. Swear the oath. Hmm. No, no, she answered. No sinful oaths for me. I am one of Christ's children. Let me go. The soldier then said, take another drink. And he thrust his halbert on her shoulder and plunged her under the water for the last time. And Mm. she died. So 20 years later after this, because Hmm. they were trying, because it was the dragoons and it was this major wind ram, they were trying to say that they didn't have anything to do with it. So a man, yes. So a man named Robert Woodrow, who was also a covenanter, he went around and he began to talk to the people who were standing on the shore, Mm -hmm. and he talked to other interviewed eyewitnesses, okay, like Luke, Mm -hmm. like Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He went and he interviewed all of these people, and he wrote this famous book called "The History of the Sufferings of the Church of Scotland." From the restoration, which is of the monarchy, that mm-hmm. would be Charles, right, mm-hmm. to the revolution. And by 1708, the book was published and collected the records and testimonies of those who were persecuted under the Stuart monarchs. Mm. And so, oh, in 1708, he collected it. In 1721, it was published okay. and became a matter of public record. There's some people that tried to say it wasn't. True, he made it up. But he went on record and even named the witnesses. Smart. One of the witnesses was Margaret McLaughlin, the widow's daughter. She stood on shore and had to watch her mother die. Yeah. And so what you will find in Blocknoth in Wigtown to this very day is the stake, is the stake that young Margaret was tied to. Wow. So it's now a famous landmark in Wigtown Hmm. to Margaret Wilson's faith. And you will find the whole story, even more than I told today about the informant. And and there's a whole poem Hmm. about this episode, you know, with all the Scottish, you know, A and E and (laughs) um, all of that in there. And it's written in like the old Gaelic style. But it's the whole testimony straight out of this book of what happened to the two Margarets. And at a kirk, because that's what they called them, kirk. The kirks are actually the covenant churches. Mm -hmm. So at the kirk in another place, not too far from Wigtown, there's a little kirk, a kirk, I think it's called of the sufferers. There's a statue to the Margarets. Awesome. And there's, again, the story of the Margarets. Mm. And it is really famous and well-known in um, Scotland. In fact, I bet if you ask your brother-in-law, Yes, who happens who to be a pastor in yeah. Glasgow, <laughs> if he knows Margaret McLaughlin and uh, Margaret Wilson. Wilson, because they became known as the Martyrs of Wigtown. Hmm. In fact, um, it's pretty renowned that they were the only martyrs. They were the only ones, this poor widow woman at wow. 63 and this young 18-year-old girl that Major Windram could actually catch. Wow. Because the men were able to escape Mm. and everything and survive to the point where, I mean, think about the Presbyterian church today and, you know, how it owes so much of its faith to these two Margarets who went to their death for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the Presbytery. And we're a a powerful witness to those who watched. It's interesting. It actually reminds me of the early church martyrs and uh, 
some of the, you know, Roman emperors who persecuted the Christians thinking like, oh, if we just kill them and execute them, it'll dissuade people from following Christ. But it has the opposite effect. Like you said, it was just such a powerful witness to see these women take a stand like this. I mean, mm -hmm. wow. So it's in such a dramatic way to stand for Christ. And you could see why they would not acknowledge either Charles or James as head of the church with their immoral lifestyles. Yes. I, I mean, they wouldn't acknowledge the pope as the head of the church. They wouldn't <laughs> acknowledge any of the bishops that were so ungodly. They were mm -hmm. like, no, Jesus Christ is the head of his own church. Yep. We will not acknowledge any man. As the head of the church, it belongs to the Lord alone. Mm. But it was interesting to me because of kind of all the reverence. And, you know, I use the King James Bible. I use the New King James Bible. But, sure. you know, you've got these King James people only, and they have no idea that <laughs> that the Covenanters just thought that it was so awful that King James would put right. his name. They preferred Coverdale's uh, Miles mm. because his Bible at least was called the English Bible. In other words, it's the Bible for the English or for everyone. But King James is like, oh, this is the authorized version. This is the only one. I will accept the one with my name on it. And, and that's so ironic yes. when, you, when it's taken from the Coverdale and the Tyndale Bibles. Yes, yes. <laughs> that were not official. All of that. But you see, too, how the Lord always has the last word. Mm -hmm. You know, this book published in 1721. And after that time, I mean, people were really afraid to touch believers, because here's a book of indictments. And the whole attitude of uh, the nation of England began to turn. And of course, in the 1700s, uh, this is when Charles Wesley and mm -hmm. John Wesley, yeah. you know, come into their own. And, you know, the next movement, Methodists, mm -hmm. uh, Methodists begin to sweep through. And so many people receive Jesus Christ. Yeah. Spurgeon much. once said, I believe in the salvation of England because I believe in the blood of the martyrs that was spilled on these soils. Mm, that absolutely. it is the seed of the church. Yeah. And what and these accounts are really powerful. Many people even today read Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's, That's a very right. popular one in the church. It's a similar kind of account. And you think of the influence. That has had over so many centuries, mm -hmm. those testimonies are preserved. Mm -hmm. Strengthening people in faith. If an 18-year-old girl can do it, if a 60-year-old widow can yes. stand for Jesus Christ, how much we should say Jesus is the head of the church mm -hmm. and we believe in him. So that was Margaret McLaughlin and Margaret Wilson. And that's why I think they're women that we should know. Absolutely. These are so, yes, these are definitely women worth knowing. I'm so glad you covered that. And also, too, even just giving the background of mm -hmm. all that they went through. Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful it, testimony. It really shows, like, all that they were up against yeah. to stand in faith. Powerful. Right. But, you know, you probably have a woman worth knowing. It might be a mother, a cousin, a sister. Please write us. We'd like to start with little snippets of, of your stories, maybe even reading your letters, your stories, their testimonies. And if you feel like you know a woman that, that others should know about for her testimony for Jesus Christ, mm. please write us. And you can write us at wwk at cccm.com. That's, That's a lot of letters. Our, yeah, I know, right? wwk at cccm.com. That's our email address. You can also find us at uh, Cheryl's uh, GraciousWords.com website. There's a link there. Also, the women.cccm.com website. If you go there, there's also a link to Women Worth Knowing. Thank you for joining us to hear about the two Margarets. And <laughs> we will be back next week with, do we have any more? Reform? We've got other women worth knowing from yes. this period as well. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. Okay, talk to you then. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.